I think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 326 of Low Limit Football on this 8th of May, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Neymar renews his contact contract at PSG through 2026, ending any talks of him moving back to Barcelona. The Champions League and Europa League finals are set. City and Chelsea will face off in the Champions League final, while Man United and Villarreal in the Europa. Will Manchester be known as title Town at the end of this month. We're going to discuss that. And a disappointing week for MLS clubs in the CONCACAF Champions League. We're going to go through that as well as more MLS discussion with our very special guest, Jason Longshore from Soccer Down Here and 92.9 The Game in Atlanta, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas, fresh off the second jab, my friend. How you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great. I feel so great to be a part of Pfizer FC, and but I do have to give a special shout out to not me, but my immune system for battling out any side effects that had happened. Yes, sir. I mean, <laughs> you were one of the lucky ones, my friend. You escaped a lot of that hate and misery um, where some of us, <laughs> me, did not. Um, but always uh, at the end, definitely worth all of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully on the road to uh, herd immunity. And uh, yep, you, sir, you and I and my wife and my daughter, all Pfizer gang, my friends. So I think uh, all my parents as well, uh, my parents as well. We should get jerseys. I, th I think we need to be full blown kits on this one. But. Literally. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter, dude. Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson. Um, if you're over in Europe, AstraZeneca, who cares? Go get your vaccine. The sooner we get to herd immunity, the sooner this virus dies because it has nowhere else to live. And the sooner we can all go back to normal. So let's just get to it, my friends. So um, let's uh, let's get into it real quick because we had a great, great interview with Jason Longshore. Uh just a few minutes ago, uh, and we're going to be happy to bring that to you in just a little bit. But I have the honor of trivia, my friend, uh, and I'd like to lay it on you if you don't mind. Go for it. All right, here we go, my friend. So uh, with the uh, with the final set here in the uh, UEFA Champions League, we have Manchester City and Chelsea facing off in the final. Again, another, uh, another final set between two teams of the same country. 
I want to ask you as the question, how many times has that happened where two teams from the same country have faced off in the Champions League final? And two, I'd also like to ask you the first time it happened, what two teams were a part of it. So it's a double-edged question. How many times has it happened? And what teams were the first ones? So we'll give that to you at the end of the show. Let's get into our opening thoughts discussion. And obviously, opening thoughts discussion will be Champions League as we uh, saw the final set in this one. Again, we had talked about it earlier. We had matches uh, earlier this week where we saw Man City dispose of Paris Saint-Germain 2-0, 4-1 on aggregate. And then on Wednesday, May 5th, we saw Chelsea dispose of Real Madrid 2-0 as well, 3-1 on aggregate over in the Europa League. Arsenal and Villarreal played to a 0-0 draw, Villarreal winning that 2-1 on aggregate with uh, the first result in that tie. And Roma winning the match 3-2 against Manchester United at the Stadio Olimpico, but losing on aggregate 8-5 in that one, a, a massive, massive score in there. Let's let's go to the to the Champions League first. City PSG, no Kylian Mbappe, um, really no bite for Manchester City in this one. I'm sorry, not Manchester City, uh, PSG. Manchester City, on the other hand, did everything they needed to do at home to secure this one. Uh, a 2-0 victory moving forward, and uh, right now you've got to think they're the favorites in the final. What did you think of this particular matchup, Roberto? Yeah, I think when you look at how this team has really shaped up, and you look at the evolution of the side, even when you look at the early when the season started, you know they were in a, I think they were mid table at one point, right? They had a really slow start. Um, so having said that, I think Pep Guardiola has really transformed the side, and we know how good they are. I think this is the expectation that finally comes true. They want to play in the Champions League. They want to win the Champions League, and so for them to finally get that opportunity to play in the final, it's all deserved. I think it's a side that is very cohesive. I think when you look at how the side has, I think you. I think we might have disagreed on one point about how maybe the defense is not as good. In a way, it's solid. I think when you look at the players like Ruben Diaz, who you know, and um, John Stones, who really kind came in to replace that kind of um, veteran presence that Vincent Company had for many years, these these come in and then done well. I mean, you have someone like Ederson who is really good on his on his feet, who was able to play in that pass, who played in the first pass, I think, for the first goal in the um, in the second leg. And I think when you have, you know, very good creative midfielders like Kevin De Bruyne, like Gundogan, who are able to play into players that are so versatile on the attack, be it Jesus, Bernardo Silva, um, and so on and so forth, I think they are a side that are very much strong and very much a a well-oiled machine that, yeah, I I think when you look at it on paper, I, I think you can say that Manchester City are the favorites heading into this final against Chelsea, but... I think when it comes to two English clubs fighting against each other, anything can happen. And, you know, as we saw in today's game between Chelsea and Manchester City, that it's not as easy as it thinks, as as anyone would think so. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this game, honestly. I was, was going to say, not so fast, my friend, because obviously uh, we... we had a little bit of a preview of the Champions League final today with Chelsea winning 2-1 over Man City. Uh, Chelsea winning 2-0 uh, against Real Madrid in the second leg, 3-1 on aggregate in this one. Um, you know, Christian Pulisic contributing again in this uh, particular matchup, and uh, and I, um, you know, just a great matchup overall for Chelsea. Uh, one thing we talked about, we talked about it with Stell last week. Did Real Madrid rush back Sergio Ramos too quickly on this one? Yeah, I think so. I think when you have like attacking players like Chelsea who are going to come at you at full force and even with the experience that they have, uh, I think when you have someone like N'Golo Conte running through everything and being that kind of you know strong and fast player, 
was able to run up and down the pitch, it will make difficulties for someone that, you know, as experienced as Ramos is, is showing his age and can be indeed suspect when needed. So, yeah, I think it was a, a huge factor coming into this one. But credit to Chelsea as well. I think they were yeah. very much a side that had the the um, the, vers- the the versatility to really go forward at Real Madrid. And I think Tuchel understands that when you look at the players that he has at his disposal and, and being able to get the best out of them in comparison to what we've seen at the start of the season for Chelsea. I, I think I think when you look at some of the things that they've done and, you know, obviously the opposition like Real Madrid, like um, Atletico Madrid as well, um, I, I think they are very much experienced in that end and they, they get the results, honestly. And obviously the Christian Pulisic factor is obviously very important for us as well. Of course. Uh, the final set for Ataturk Stadium in Istanbul on Saturday, May 29th. And certainly the week before, we'll bring you a full preview of that one and uh, and obviously a post-game as well with uh, our reaction to it. So let's look at the Europa real quick. Uh, first one, Arsenal um, drawing nil-nil with Villarreal at home, uh, losing 2-1 on aggregate. This second leg, Roberto, was really much of a snoozer um, by all accounts. I mean, what were your thoughts of it? I, I thought it was a rather drab game, and Villarreal did what they needed to do to move through to the final uh Another Unai Emery masterclass, I would say. Yeah, I think so. I think it kind of was a bit unfortunate that Arsenal really needs to get needed to go from the get go to get that result because obviously they were down a goal and they needed to get it. Um, and you know they were so unlucky in their finishing that they weren't able to do it. Um, but again, credit to Villarreal is having a fantastic season under Unai Emery, who. At this point, Joe, if, if he's able to win this Europa League final, I think we should just rename it the UEFA Emery League at this point because <laughs> he's, he's just so good at it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's credit to them. They have a really underrated side. I think they have good players like Jared Moreno on the attack. That, you know, they have you know a, a side that definitely can compete and cause troubles, not just in the Europa League, but also in La Liga, as you've seen, Joe. So mm. yeah, credit to them. And I think unfortunately for Arsenal under Arteta, they're, they're just a side that needs that constant change and. You know, perhaps not making any European competitions next year will definitely get them a, a better perspective as to like what is really going on with Arsenal. And there's so many things going on with Arsenal at the moment. But I think this kind of elimination from European competitions will probably do well for them because they'll see and they need to fix problems that are really deep inside the club. I'm going to ask you a question here, and, and it's it's related to Arteta, but not necessarily related to Europa League. We've seen Arsenal kind of flounder under Mikel Arteta, where, where some Arsenal fans are actually asking for the return of, um, and now his name is escaping me. Um, Emery. I think, uh, no, not Unai Emery. Uh, before him, Arsene Wenger. Okay. Arsene Wenger. Wenger. You know, I've, I've seen that. Uh, you look at Frank Lampard, uh, you know, getting sacked at Chelsea, bringing on Thomas Tuchel, and they've turned it way around. You see Andrea Pirlo at Juventus uh, being brought on and and really floundering here this year. Are we are we seeing finally the proof that some of these coaches you can't just be in love with some of these coaches because they were team legends prior to um, and really have a focus more back to the not necessarily Jose Mourinho's but but that style of coach a coach that's that's kind of worked their way up almost like I want to say Jesse Marsh. Um, working his way up, now going to RB Leipzig at the end of the season, a coach that's kind of worked his way through the the ranks, whereas Lampard, Pirlo, Arteta, these are like their first jobs, and and they failed miserably. Um, You know, Lampard not quite so much failed miserably, but certainly was not successful. Um, Have we seen the last of that, where we're done hiring the... uh, 
the, the club sweetheart and maybe being a little more pragmatic with our selection of a coach uh, the next time around? Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, what's the availability out there? I think right. certainly, you know, those top managers are not easy to get um, in comparison to those who, you know, had that kind of journey as a club legend and now are moving into the managerial factor. It's it's so hard to find. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's 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 the best of both worlds, really, I think. But yeah, I mean, you know, no one's going to be a good coach overnight. I, I think certainly it's a process. Some people have it. Some people don't. I mean, it's it's just dependent on the situation that you're in, the players that you have, the project, the idea, you know, the the, the support that you're getting. It, it, there's so many factors that, you know, a lot of these managers are are brought in. And, you know, ultimately, if you are brought in to do a job, it's because the board has esteemed confidence in you because you feel that you can lead the side into greater things. And, you know, I don't obviously we're not in these, any of these board meetings and what goes on in terms of conversations as to why they make these picks. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes to connections to an actual club, it, you know, sometimes they, they shouldn't be on that pedestal. One, because it makes it too easy for them. And two, if it does go wrong, then they just become their reputation in a way becomes so different. I'll tell you the next great test of that theory to come. Xavi at, Bar- at Barcelona. I mean, he's not there. Uh, yeah. He's yeah. not there yet, yeah. but you know he is the heir apparent, um, and he's picking up. You know, he's picking up experience at Al Hilal in uh, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, although, you know, by all accounts, Al Hilal. No, no, no. Al Al Said. Al Said. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the the team that he's coaching right now is the team that's spending, um, and he's and he's won the league. So you know, we'll have to see what he does coming to Barcelona when that happens. And and again, I'm not. I, I'm not letting on any secrets. Everyone knows that he's the heir apparent at Barca. So, you know, we'll have to see how that works out. And, uh, you know, one other case in point, Zinedine Zidane got a lot of experience with the U21s at Real Madrid and then moved into that spot. Um, and, and we know what the results have been. So um, let's go to the last coverage real quick. Um, Jose Mourinho's future club uh, defeat Jose Mourinho's former club uh, where Roma beats Man United 3-2, but losing 8-5 on aggregate. You know, Roma... Once, once they went down six uh, two in this in this particular tie in the first leg, which was just a disaster um, in the second half, there was really no crawling back for them. And then Edson Cavani, who, if I remember correctly, uh, was in on all eight goals in this tie, a, a fantastic feat. Um, once he gets that first goal in the second leg, this was truly over and done. I mean, it was over and done before they kicked the ball, but it was really over and done after Cavani put the nail in the coffin, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. credit to Manchester United is a great side that I think wanted to go back into this final after what happened last year. Mm-hmm. They were so unlucky not to get into that situation, but I think now they are probably the favorites to, on this one. I mean, of course, Villarreal are a side that, with their manager, they know how to win this competition, but if you look on how what Oleg on Solskjaer is doing with this side, I think the demonstration of what the game was against Roma, I think they can they can they have a chance on this team. And you made a reference into title town. I mean, I'm not going to make predictions yet. I mean, anything can change in the next few weeks, but I think Europe's title town is probably going to be Manchester by the end of the month. It's looking really close like that. So, uh, the final will kick off in Gdansk on Wednesday, May 26th. And, uh, as again, you know, because of that, that will be championship week for us here at low limit football. We'll, we'll certainly bring you previews of both the champions league and Europa league finals and then post game reaction in our following show. So, 
Um, let's table our discussion of the champ of the European Champions League and Europa League because we were able to catch up with uh, Jason Longshore from soccer down here uh, just a little while ago and catch up on CONCACAF Champions League. Talk about MLS as well, Atlanta United, uh, as well as as many other things coming on to this early MLS season. So without further ado, the Jason Longshore interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from soccer down here, Jason Longshore. Jason, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you here. I want to jump in real quick and look at the CONCACAF Champions League and where we are now with the semifinals. Obviously, leading into the quarterfinals, we had five of the eight teams come out of MLS with Toronto FC, Columbus, Philly, Atlanta United, and uh, the Portland Timbers. On the backside of that now, we've only got one left, the Philadelphia Union. And the only reason we have an MLS side in there, if you think about it, is because Philly eliminated Atlanta on their way into the semifinal. And they're going to end up facing Club America, uh, which is going to be no easy out for any team in the world, but especially for the Philadelphia Union. What are your impressions of how, I guess, how poorly MLS performed in this quarterfinal round where they had so many opportunities to get to the semifinals and even finals, and now we're stuck with uh, one team left to hope for. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, guys. First off, really appreciate it. Uh, This is a disappointing CCL. Um, I'm not as disappointed about Toronto losing to Cruz Azul. Toronto getting past Club Leon, I thought, was an impressive result, especially how banged up Toronto is. You've got a new manager. Uh, you haven't you know, been able to incorporate Jefferson Soteldo into CCL play, so you didn't have Pozuelo. That one wasn't a surprise. Uh, Club America getting past Portland. If Portland had been able to get the win at home, maybe we're having a different conversation. They weren't able to do that. I, I think Las Aguilas are just a better team. The, the thing about Cruz Azul and, and Club America for me are that these are two really good versions of these clubs at the moment. Uh, Cruz Azul, you know, set a record for consecutive wins in, in Liga MX play. Club America is right there. They had an administrative issue that took a win away, or they would have been right there in that kind of a, a you know winning streak. So those two are outstanding. Um, Columbus was a big disappointment against Monterrey. I, I thought that was one that they could handle. Even though it would be difficult, I thought they could handle it. And that late equalizer they conceded combined with giving up such an early goal in the second leg, they just didn't show the the level and the mentality that I expected out of the Columbus crew. I was very, very disappointed. And obviously I'm disappointed with Atlanta United not getting past Philadelphia. That series was definitely a toss-up going in. Uh, Atlanta started great. The first 45 minutes, even into the, the 55th minute, was great for Atlanta. And then they conceded off a set piece, and it just felt like the focus dropped, and it felt like they kind of panicked. And you know, instead of playing it out for 180 minutes, they, they felt like they had to go get an equalizer immediately and left themselves a little too exposed. And you have some miscommunication, you give up a second goal, and then you really do have to go get something out of the home leg, and you get caught on the counter for the third. Second leg was better for Atlanta. Um, Philadelphia you know, was comfortable. They had a three-goal cushion. But second leg was, was better, you know, coming on a short rest. Missing Ezekiel Barco, missing Jurgen Dom, I think to be able to get the 1-1 and put a scare in Philly a little bit in that second half, you'll take it, but Atlanta lost the series in about 35 minutes in the second half where they just lost their heads. 
Now, Jason, looking into the entire tournament as a whole and what we have left, obviously we have three powerhouses of all of Mexican football with the likes of Monterrey, Cruz Azul, and America. And obviously the Philadelphia Union are a side that, you know, surely should not be underestimated. But if you have to give um, take a pick at, like, one of these teams that you feel is the strongest one and has the best potential to win the CONCACAF Champions League, who is it? I think it's a toss-up between the three Mexican teams. Uh, you know, I I would say Cruz Azul because of, of what they've done this season, but it's Cruz Azul, and <laughs> we've seen this so many yeah, times. You know, like you don't want to really necessarily buy in because we've just seen it. We've seen it recently with them. Uh, Club America under Santiago Solari has been really impressive. Uh, I think he has, has kind of elevated that team and that group from where they were last year at the end of the year. And Monterrey, I mean, you you know, it's it's easy to look at those two because they're at the very top of the table and they've been so good this year. But Monterrey has so many veterans in this tournament. You have Javier Aguirre there who has just been at the highest levels of the game for so long. I think it's a toss-up between those three. And, and the thing that makes this year's competition so interesting is that you're going to have a transfer window in between. So these teams might not exactly look the same by the time we get to the semifinals. And I think Philadelphia is included in that. Do they go out and and make a, you know, I, I doubt they'd make a big signing in the summer, but could they go out and make a very impactful signing based off what they've seen so far? Yeah, I, I think they could. And the thing about Philly, when you match them up here, they have a little bit of a unique set up and it, it gave Atlanta some fits at times. I thought Gabriel Heinze had the right plan to counteract it in the first leg, but that four, four, two diamond isn't a formation that you see every day and it can throw teams off and they're so well versed in it. You know, this is something that Jim Curtin has worked on for a long time. Philly's a team that can control possession, but they're also a team that can play on the counter I don't think they're completely overmatched here. Their tactics can kind of bridge some of that talent gap, but I'm really curious to see what they do in the summer. Now that they're in the semifinals, do they go and spend a little bit to try to find a game changer? I think ultimately, and Joe, you can come and help me on this one. Hmm. I think ultimately when you look at both these two games, they are really tasty. I mean, even with when you have an all-Mexican semifinal with two historic sides, Jason brings up a good point about you know that all of these sides can definitely straighten into the um, into the into the transfer window, and when you have a side like uh, Philadelphia Union who you know can be kind of that wild card team, especially against the Mexican sides, everything's up. I think honestly, I think yes, it is a toss up when it looks into the Mexican sides, but you you can't underestimate the Union as well. No, I I agree with you. You know the the Union has done a great job of developing young talent over the past few years. Um, we look at Brendan Aronson, case in point. Um, unfortunately, he's gone on to Europe, and you know they don't benefit from that anymore. I'm concerned. I, I do agree with Jason, where you know you say that we have a, another transfer window. We're going to have the summer window before they jump back into this competition. So some of these teams, especially a team like Club America, who's not afraid to spend a few bucks, um, might go out and you know and improve their side. Whether they're focusing on Liga MX or they're focusing on this tournament, either way. Club America is is like the New York Yankees. You know, they, they're going to always want to improve. They're always always want to get better. Cruz Azul, you know, obviously the curse the curse is real. It seems with them, they're always you know like everyone says Cruzado. Um, you know, so Monterrey, 
another strong side, like you said, it's really a toss-up between the three Mexican sides. I think the team that is most likely to improve in the transfer window is going to be Club America. Um, The one that I want to throw back at you, Jason, is given Philly's history as to what they do, they're more of... They've always been more of a development club. They're, they're not ones that are really out to go and spend a lot of money, especially in general. When you talk about MLS clubs, we're not we don't look at a lot of MLS clubs looking to focus on this particular tournament for whatever reason it may be. Um, so I don't know that Philly's going to go and spend money with this in mind. I think Philly would be more apt to spend some money um, if they are back, you know, hunting for the supporter shield, hunting for a playoff spot, you know, trying to dominate MLS. I think that would be more of a trigger for them to go and spend some money and improve the side. But I, I think if you're looking at a team that is maybe just outside the um, outside the playoff window come, you know, late July, I, I think that they would be more apt to sell pieces you know, redevelop and reinvest into the club than they would be to go hit one or two home runs, focus on getting back into MLS and then focus on this tournament. Jason, what do you think about that? Do you think Philly would be, um, what kind of, or what kind of scenario would Philly be more encouraged to spend some money, hit a home run with a big transfer and maybe push this thing over the top against club America? Yeah. See, I don't think they'll go for a big transfer, but I could definitely see them going to spend a little bit because, you know, they're going to be in the mix for the supporter shield for the Eastern conference. They're, they're that good. They're going to be in that mix. You've got a really good base. I think Philly needs to figure out if Stuart Finley is going to be a center back that can help replace Mark McKenzie, you know, so far so good with Jacob Glessness. Um, and Jack Elliott, Jack Elliott's the, the best fourth round draft pick in MLS super draft history. He's really turned into a nice player. So that part's good. The midfield is the one that I look at and I wonder if they might go shopping. Uh, Jose Martinez is suspended for a minute. He's got to keep his head because we, we've seen some some rash things from him and he's he's had some card issues. But they added Leon Flack, which seems to be a good pickup, a good young pickup. That's the kind of pickup I think they would go do. And I think it would be somebody to give them what they, they've lost in Brendan Aronson. Because Anthony Fontana, and I don't exactly know why, I thought he would step in and be that guy. But Jim Curtin's been a little reluctant to, to give him the keys to the, the car right now. And you've seen Jamiro Montero pushing up into that role a little bit more as the, the attacking point of the diamond. So... Do you see Philly maybe going out because the South American market is ripe if you've got a little bit of money to spend right now? I think there's going to be a number of clubs that are in difficult situations financially that have to sell. And you can go out and spend, you know, if you're Philadelphia, two, three, four million dollars, which is not crazy money at the moment, and get a nice player that can give you what you feel like you need for the second half. Do you want to play Montero as the 10? and then go get an, an eight, one of the shuttlers in the, in the diamond midfield. Do you decide that you need to go, you're happy with the midfield, but you need to go get a second forward to give you more than Corey Burke or give you more than Sergio Santos? Okay, you could find that too. My guess is it's either the attacking point of the diamond or an eight that they go look for. And, you know, they've done really well in spending small amounts of money and getting a big bang for their buck. Kai Wagner was in the third division in Germany. Flack was in the second division in Germany with St. Pauli. You know, Ernst Tanner's got connections. He might not go to South America now because his connections are in Europe, but he can take a little bit of money and stretch it very far and I think make them a better team. 
I think it's a good point that you made, Jason, because, you know, obviously with the Libertadores starting the Sudamericana, you know, it's you get those players that are really much in form. And obviously a lot of teams are are looking at these, you know, future gems. And you look at clubs like an MLS, like what the Philadelphia Union are doing. They know that they have a good scouting network. They know that they have the connections, but certainly they can look at that market similar to what other clubs in MLS are doing and perhaps think, you know, you know, we want some of that and what the other clubs in, in MLS are doing. Yeah, and I think Philly's also shown the ability to sell. So if you're a young player and you get contacted by the Philadelphia Union and you're a young player, you know, in Uruguay or, or Ecuador, and, and Ecuador's a market for me that I think MLS needs to really hit on a little bit more, Philadelphia yep. can present a really good package for you and, and say, you know, look, this is what we did with Brendan Aronson. This is what we did with Mark McKenzie. You can be next. Come here, play well for a couple of years. And we'll get you your ticket to Europe. That's what I would be selling if I'm Philadelphia. And and I think the decision for Jim Curtin and, and Ernst Tanner is to figure out, do they need to go shopping to get that one piece that would make them an MLS Cup contender and give them the opportunity to, to get by Club America and Champions League? Or are they going to lean into what they've generally done, which is developed from within? I think they'll have the ability to go out and shop if they choose to. We'll just have to see if they do. Yeah, 100%. Now, focusing, obviously, onto the side that you cover in Atlanta United, obviously, it's a new season under new manager Gabriel Heinz. Obviously, we're speaking. The last time that we did speak, we had a new manager and a completely different side as opposed to what we see now. Obviously, we saw Atlanta United make a lot of transfers during the the transfer window, bringing in players such as Alessandro Lopez, Santiago Sosa, Franco Ibarra, Alan Franco, many young players, with the exception of Lopez, coming into the side. Um, and, you know, obviously it's still early days, you know, a one win, one draw and one loss and obviously the elimination into the, the CONCACAF Champions League. But, you know, Jason, I wanted to ask what has been your early impression so far of this Atlanta United side? Obviously, I think in my personal opinion, it's becoming much more of a side that we've been used to under the likes of Tata Martino. I think we're seeing some young players that are really starting to step, step, uh, to step up. But there is still a lot of things that could indeed be improved. And I think that will happen as these players try to learn about Heinze's system and whatnot. But what have, you, what have been your thoughts, uh, essentially, about this Atlanta United uh, side so far? It looks like a team that is seven games into a new way of playing. You know, it's, it's not completely comfortable yet. And I think where that shows up the most is in the attacking half and specifically in the final third. But what I've really enjoyed and... Now, I've I've paid attention to th- this kind of idea of play because it's been maybe more so in the background in, in Atlanta United up until now. Tata Martino, you know, definitely comes from the Bielsa school, but he's more pragmatic. So it's not as intricate. It's a little more north and south. Frank DeBoer comes at that idea of playing from the originals, from the, the Dutch, from you know, the Ajax, the Renus Mikkels, the Johan Cruyff, but then he's got the Louis van Gaal influence into it, which is very organized and very structured and sometimes does take away from the creativity. And I think Gabriel Heinze comes at it from a little bit of both. And I think he was the logical progression because the positional play idea that we saw under DeBoer at times, that's been a little bit easier with guys who have been here before because they get it, stretching the field as wide as possible. That part in the buildup has been very good. I think buildup play has been very good in general for this team. Okay, 
then it's the additional element that Heinze really subscribes to of high pressure, of defending high up the field in the other team's half, making it difficult for them to play. You know, he had a, a quote that I've, I've loved and referenced many times that he wants to watch his team play, not the other team play. You lose the ball, he wants it back as fast as possible so his team can play the game. I love that. I think we're seeing that. What we're not quite seeing yet that I think we did see at Vélez Sarsfield um, and at Argentinos Juniors under Heinze and, and what we see under other managers who think about the game in this way, and that includes Pep Guardiola. I've always thought that Heinze is, is edging more towards Pep than he is Bielsa directly, and I think most people look at it the other way you're not seeing the third man. You're not seeing the additional runner. You're not seeing the half spaces utilized quite as much. So right now, everything is good getting out. And again, everything's with the ball. So I'm, I'm talking specifically with the ball element here. Everything's good getting out of your defensive third. Everything's good getting out of your defensive half. Everything's pretty good getting into the final third. That's where it's not quite comfortable yet. And the movement still feels a little stilted, a little rigid, like you're holding back a bit. And when that starts to unlock, and some of it is Joseph Martinez, but I think a lot more of it is just the wingers and the two central attacking midfielders playing with more freedom. And I don't think they're being held back, but I think they're still finding their way in the system. We saw it against Philadelphia, actually, in that first 45 minutes in the first leg. I think we saw them playing with a lot of freedom. When that becomes the consistent thing, and they're not afraid of giving up those potential breaks the other way, and they finish plays off, I think this team will really start to, to cook. It's not quite there yet, but it's getting there, and I think we're seeing the building blocks being put in place. So, Jason, let, let me jump in here and ask you, because you know, obviously one of the big catalysts over the last few years for Atlanta United has been Joseph Martinez. Uh, it was a, it was a piece that they were sadly and, and desperately missing last year um, in during the season, but bringing him back so far from what I've seen in the matches against uh, Philly and, and a couple of matches so far here in the MLS season is that Joseph Martinez isn't the same Joseph Martinez as he was before the injury. Do you think that they, maybe they, they rushed him back a little bit too quickly? I don't think so. I, I don't know if you could have really held him back any further because he didn't play until a full year, about a year, at least a full year after the surgery, mm -hmm. about a year and a month after the injury itself. You know, I mean, there's only so much you can do to hold him back. And, and I think it's a tough balance because his minutes have not been 100 percent yet. But I don't think he, we start to see Joseph look like himself until he does play those minutes because the issues I'm seeing aren't physical. They're more rhythm. They're, they're more, you know, being, you know, comfortable with reading the play. Uh, I mean, had a couple crosses in the second leg from Brooks Lennon that I'm so used to seeing Joseph go up when that header put it on goal and he mistimed it and, and things like that. Like his runs are, are like a step slower in terms of developing they're they're a little bit later to make the run things like that where you've got to play him to get through that but you also you know are looking out for him I, I just I haven't heard anything about any physical issues to hold him back from at this point I think you just have to play and get him going as best as you can 
Yeah. And, and Roberto and I are talking about it and, you know, coming back from an ACL injury is not the easiest thing for any athlete period to do. Um, so it's, it's, you know, when you're talking about a, a player that's dynamic, a player that has to, you know, has to figure out the timing and be in game shape timing wise. It's something that is going to come, you know, it's a feel thing for, for a guy like Joseph Martinez. And I think, you know, as he gets those minutes, I think that will improve. Hopefully it, it happens sooner than later for Atlanta. That's for sure. Um, I want to look at the rest of MLS real quick before we let you go. A couple of a couple of storylines. I mean, it's it's very early times in the season. Most teams have only played three or four matches so far. I know we've got an El Trafico coming up at the time of this recording later on tonight. Um, but two opinions that I want to ask you on is uh, one: the job of Greg Vanny at, uh, at at the LA Galaxy. Now that he's gone over there to take over, um, he's moved them into sixth place. They are uh, two wins. Uh, I believe it's two wins and a, and a draw. Um, I'm sorry, two wins and a loss so far. Um, so your thoughts on what he's been able to do so far with the Galaxy, and I'd also like your opinion on Minnesota United. This is the only team that has not registered a point so far in the MLS season. They were semifinalists in the Western Conference last year. I mean, you're that close to going to MLS Cup Final, and here we are. They're having an atrocious start to the season, only scoring one goal in three matches. What are your thoughts on what Minnesota United has done so wrong that they did so right last year? I'll go backwards because Minnesota has been one of the craziest stories for me. I I thought they were an MLS cup contender coming into the year, getting a full year out of Bebelo Reynoso. um, He was incredible last year, uh, adding one Chope Avila. Like I I thought this was a team that could win MLS cup. I I did not expect this kind of a start. And there's gotta be questions being asked because when you go back to that Western conference final, where they had a two nil lead on Seattle late, And I said it at the time, and I still hold it to be the case that Adrian Heath mismanaged that second half against Seattle, and that's what cost them their spot in the MLS Cup final. Mm -hmm. Well, he's got to be on a hot seat now with the amount of money that they have spent, with the type of talent that they've brought in. He's got to be on the hot seat with this really poor start. Um, They've got plenty of time. But they've got to start showing something other than complaining about opposing goalkeepers kicking the ball into the stands. You know, like that became such a story more so than than Minnesota's really poor play. They've got to show something this weekend. I I just I, I don't get it with them. I think the talent is just too good to be getting the results that they're getting at the moment with the Galaxy. I didn't expect this much from them so far now. I think they showed that they're not quite as far along as maybe we thought after two weeks when they went to Seattle and got, you know, hammered by one of the best teams in the league right now. You got to give Brian Schmetzer a lot of credit because I don't think I'm the only one who was kind of doubting them coming in without Jordan Morris with Nicholas Lidero banged up and, and what it could look like. They've been able to shift into a different formation with two up top and they're getting some incredible results right now. But Greg Vanny, was the perfect guy to go to the galaxy. It's going to be a bit of a process. What I like about Vanny, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it is he is a really good tactician. Mm -hmm. We saw his Toronto teams play a lot of four, two, three, one, and he had the players to play that perfectly, but he always had that three, five, two look in his back pocket. And when he broke that out, he always did it at the right times. I think it was the 17, uh, MLS Cup final where he switched to the 3-5-2 and Seattle had no answers for it. 
I think he's the right guy to get something out of that. When you bring on Ethan Zubak to pair up with Chicharito, and and, and it works because Chicharito needed somebody to pair with. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's figuring these things out. I still think they're a little limited talent wise. I still think defensively they're they're pretty suspect, but they could make the playoffs. And coming into the year, I didn't have them as a playoff team. I think it's a credit to Greg Vanny and and the coaching ability that he has. And he doesn't seem to get talked about as one of the best coaches. And I don't know why that is. It felt like in Toronto there was always a little bit of a a background noise of, you know, we can do better, we can do better. And he wasn't really talked about as a U.S. men's national team candidate, and I felt like he should have been. He's one of the best American coaches out there, and he's going to show that with the Galaxy in this rebuild. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, one more question before we let you go. I know you're covering the Atlanta-Inter-Miami matchup tomorrow. Um, obviously, Atlanta coming off the loss uh, with Inter-Miami, you know, starting to turn things around a little little bit. Opening day loss in their, uh, in their season, and then they turned it around with a win over against Philadelphia before drawing nil-nil on the week, uh, last weekend against Nashville. What's your expectations of this matchup in Miami tomorrow? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. We'll have it on the Atlanta United Radio Network. Uh, you can listen if you're outside the market on the uh, Odyssey app or on the Atlanta United app as well, uh, A-U-D-A-C-Y, um, and go to 92.9 The Game. That's our, our flagship station here in Atlanta. Um, with Miami, I've been really intrigued to see how they come together under Phil Neville because – Everybody seemed to really not like that hire. And I had watched, and we did a lot with the Women's World Cup in 2019, and I'd watched what he was doing with England and was really impressed with the work that he did with the England women's national team. And I couldn't really figure out outside of people thinking, okay, got the job because he's buddies with Beckham. Although when Jill Ellis was getting interviewed for jobs, that was seen as a good thing. Phil Neville took a team to the World Cup semifinal, you know, like that's pretty impressive. And they did it in a good way and they, they played good soccer doing it. I always enjoyed watching them play. Mm-hmm. So I had some some high hopes for it. I wasn't really intrigued by the the Ryan Shawcross signing and some of the other signings like that. But I'm like, let's see what happens. We're still waiting to see if they're going to get punished for the Blaze Matweedy thing, which I have no idea why that's still lingering out there and we don't have a resolution Chris Henderson coming in was was a maybe the even bigger addition for them in the offseason. Goes out and gets Jovan Jones, goes out and gets Kelvin Leardam, two guys that he had with the Sounders that instantly made them better defensively. I don't think they're complete yet. I don't think they're a title contender yet. I think they still have work to do in building the squad because they made some huge mistakes in year one. But Bill Neville's figuring out how to get results with this group. And you have a guy like Gonzalo Higuain. And if he can continue to build this connection with Rodolfo Pizarro, mm-hmm. they're going to be a problem. Now, this game tomorrow, Leardam is banged up. He didn't train on Thursday. Robbie Robinson is out. The whole right side is in flux for Miami. I'm looking at this match and seeing what can Atlanta do to try to exploit that. They tried to pick on Kai Wagner in the second leg in Philadelphia, consistently working the ball to Brooks Lennon. He put in crosses. He was creating opportunities. I'm wondering if it's the reverse this time, that Atlanta tries to work the ball to the left and really tries to get Marcelino Moreno going, running at whoever's at right back from Miami and trying to take advantage of of a little bit of a banged-up back line with Figal out as well. So 
it's going to be an interesting one just because these are two teams that I think people have always looked at as two clubs that are big and ambitious and, and want to do big things and they've got big names. So to have this on national television, it could be an, a, an exciting match tomorrow, even with both teams not at full strength with the Miami injuries and with Atlanta missing Ezekiel Barco and missing Jurgen Dom. Jason, great, great stuff. Uh, you know, Roberto and I at the beginning of the week talked about who we wanted to talk to to really dive deep into MLS. Um, and I definitely think we made the right choice, man. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And thanks for coming on. And we look forward to having you back again real soon, my friend. Yeah, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. And special thanks again to Jason Longshore for joining us on the show. Roberto, we have a great list of matches of the week to look at. We still have CONCACAF, I'm sorry, not CONCACAF, uh, Copa Libertadores to talk about. And many of the leagues are playing in uh, in midweek with a very jam-packed Wednesday afternoon. So let me give you the rundown real quick. On Tuesday, we're going to kick it off with Manchester United and Leicester City in the EPL at 1 p.m. We're going to close it out with Santos and Boca Juniors. That's going to be a great one. 6.15 p.m. in the Copa Libertadores on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we kick off with Sassuolo Juventus at 2.45 p.m. Then we go to Chelsea Arsenal, uh, another uh, London derby at 3.15 p.m. We then head over to Spain for Atleti Real Sociedad at 4 p.m. Toronto FC Columbus Crew at 7 p.m. And Junior River Plate in the Libertadores at 8 p.m. On Thursday, Manchester United Liverpool, 3.15 15 p.m. We're going to have Granada Real Madrid at 4 p.m. to see if they can jump into that uh, that title spot as well with Barca and Atleti tying nil nil on the weekend, and uh, close it out with America de Cali versus Atletico Mineiro at 8 p.m. and 8 p.m. in the Copa Libertadores on Saturday. The Derby d'Italia, Juve Inter, 12 o'clock, and then on Sunday we're going to go to RB Leipzig, Wolfsburg at 2:30 p.m. and Lille Saint Etienne at 3 p.m. Putting one foot closer to that league on time. Title. Uh, congratulations today to Bayern Munich as well for closing out their ninth Bundesliga title in a row. So, Mr. Roberto Rojas, I gave you a trivia question at the beginning of the show, and I'd like to give it to you again, my friend. Go for it. So, uh, Manchester City, Chelsea are going to face off in the Champions League final. Um, it is, and it has happened again where we've had two teams from the same country or in the same league uh, play for the Champions League title. I asked you, how many times has this previously happened? And what is the matchup from the very first um, athletic, um, I'm sorry, Champions League final between two teams from the same country? So I had, to, I had to think about it because I I am somewhat knowledgeable on the Champions League winners, but I don't always know who their opponents were. Mm-hmm. I am very confident that it has happened very recently, mm-hmm. that it's something that has happened in the last 20 years or so, so something not before that. Um, but I was writing it down, and I had to think, and I'm confident that prior to this one that we're going to have, it's been done seven times. Very close. Very, very close. It's actually eight. So Okay. Um, and can you give me the first one? And I'll and then I'll give you the matchups in the years. But uh, can you give me the very first time it happened? What were the two teams? I believe it was Real Madrid Valencia in two thousand nineteen ninety nine two thousand. Real Madrid Valencia was the very first time it happened. Then after that, in two thousand two two thousand three, you had Milan Juventus. Uh, you had in oh seven oh eight Man United Chelsea. 
In 12-13, you had Bayern and Dortmund. In 13-14, you had Real Madrid Atleti. The rematch of that in 15-16. And then in 18-19, you had an All-England final with Liverpool Spurs. And then this one coming up on the 29th, City-Chelsea, the eighth time it has previously happened. So, okay, great question, my friend. And, and yeah, fantastic job um, with not only the answer of the first two teams to do it, but how many times as well. So without uh, anything left on the docket, my friend, let's uh, hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 326 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Jason Longshore for joining us on the show. Next week, we'll give you more Copa Libertadores. We're going to give you more MLS and the leagues as they start to wind it down to the final matches of the season. So for episode 326 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.